Those triumphant horns can only mean one thing, ladies and gentlemen, and that's right. Three beers in is back, and I bet you guys are scared. I bet you guys were nervous that maybe, just maybe, the show was never going to return. But I would never abandon you guys. I would never leave my three beers in family behind. That's not how I roll. That's not how I do, okay? I will, however, sometimes maybe take a break a little bit. Because guess what? I'm out of my mind! I'm losing it. I'm literally losing it. Because it's a fantasy football shit going on. All the drafts are done. We don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'm not going to talk about it on the show anymore because this is a show about beer and maybe some things that I'm thinking about in my life and stuff like that. I don't know why I went a little Italian on the end. Things that I'm thinking about in my life, you know, my whole life. Uh, That last part I don't even think was Italian. Oh, geez, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to cut the burps. My bad. Um, So, yeah, the fantasy football drafts are complete, ladies and gentlemen. That means... The only excuse I have not to do the show is maybe baby-related. <laughs> I can still use that as an excuse. <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't use excuses. If I can't make it to a show, it's for a darn good reason. Because I just love doing this show so much. I always talk about how much I love doing this show on the show. It's getting, it's getting a bit redundant. I think if you're listening and you know who I am, you know that I love doing this. And this is a big part of who I am. And it's a big part of me. Do you feel that in the air, though? Do you feel that? Gentle, soft air, just gently brushing in your face. Cool air. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That is the feeling of fall. Fall is right behind the horner. Right behind the horner. Right over in the horn. Right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. And that means football. That's right. Football. Hey, Football's around the corner. I am so excited. There's a game on tonight. I don't even know if I'm going to catch it because I've been uh, doing this show. I'm doing this show and um, this, that, and the third. But really, really excited about that just to, I mean, because, look, we know I've talked about it time and time again on the show. The swamp ass is killing me. I mean, it is just sloshing around back there. Pete Sullivan called it something different. It's, it's out of my mind right now. It's, you know, because I'm, I'm crazy. I can't think. But I'm just sick and tired of it. I want to wear a hoodie. Okay, I want to wear a hoodie. That is my jacket. We discussed that. And I, and I just want to be done with this. And then I just have to look forward to it uh, coming around again. But anyway, but September also means uh, something something really awesome here is happening in September. And you might think, Dom, I know exactly what it is. Hold the phone. Let me t- Oh, this is going to overflow. Fuck. I caught it. I caught that. I just drank. Oh. <laughs> I just, I just, give me a second. Sorry, everybody. I just drank um, straight foam. Like I chugged it. It's not, it's, it's disgusting. Anyway, um, where was I? I don't even know what I was saying. September, right? And you're saying to yourself, Tom, I know exactly what you're going to talk about right now. What you're going to say. You're going to say it's September, which means that bingo, sumo's coming back. You're saying yourself, yeah, I know. You were waiting for me to say it. Listen, I'm a big sumo wrestling fan, okay? It's what I'm into. I'm sorry. I, I, I could try to explain, but it's really hard to explain because people, when I say that I'm into sumo, people assume that I'm joking because I'm a bit of a jokester. That's what I am, you know? So, so you know, I mean, no, no harm, no foul, thinking that I'm fucking around by saying I'm into sumo. But last basho, as they call it, uh, I was really into it. It was my first one. Uh, and what they do is they do it every other month. So if they have one in July, they sit and rest for August, and then they go ahead and do another one in um, 
uh, September. Then they'll rest for October and do November. It's always uh, a month alternate. That's how sumo wrestling works, for those that are wondering. But how did I get into sumo? I kind of, now, it's going to be crazy because I'm going to make some wacky connections here, but I'm going to connect my my interest in baseball to sumo. Sorry about the burp. That was the foam burp, and it was god-awful. But how am I, how is Dominic Ribello going to connect sumo wrestling to baseball? The one thing that I really... Now, look, I've been, I watched the most Met games this year, unfortunately, than I've done in many years because I really wanted to pay closer attention to baseball this year. But I'm never going to, I don't think I'm ever going to be into it like, oh, the light just came on. I don't think I'm ever going to be into it like where I could name players on the the, the Pittsburgh uh, Pit Pirates or something or anything like that. I don't like, you know, I can't, I'm not that savvy with it. But what I do like about baseball is the history of baseball. There's a rich, rich history with baseball and the country's obsession with it. Okay. So how I tie it together with sumo wrestling is that there's a rich, and even long, more ancient history with sumo wrestling that is also has the country captivated. Um, it's like their Super Bowl every other month. Okay, the whole country basically just shuts down and is just totally all sumo. You know, it's just that's just how it is, right? So uh, they're kind of similar in that way. That there's a rich history and the country's obsessed. That's how I make the connection. So with sumo, I mean, it stretches all the way back. I think into the 1500s. They didn't start really making record of it until I think eight, uh, 1752. Like hard record of it. There was always legend of it and stuff like that, but they didn't really um, have. Um, uh, record records or anything like that. But I'm not going to bore you with sumo because you know what? That's my thing. I'm into sumo. If you want to get into it, you can get into it too. You can stream it on Twitch when it comes on, but you got to be up at three o'clock in the morning if you want to catch the matches. Um, but what I've done is I picked two sumo wrestlers to follow and I followed them throughout their tournament. So I picked two sumo wrestlers. Last tournament, the, uh, the both of them that I picked ended up sucking really bad and like leaving. So so the two sumo wrestlers that I follow, if you'd like to Google them, is Tochi Notion, who is a dude from the country of Georgia, and he has the rank of Ozeki, which is the rank right under Yokozuna. Um, last tournament, Tochi, Tochi Notion um, lost, I think, five or six in a row and withdrew from the competition in order to, uh, cont- uh, to uh, uh, keep his rank of Ozeki. But now he has to, in this basho or tournament, has to have at least eight wins or more in order to keep his rank. Uh, it's called Kadoban, which is what he's on. And the other wrestler that I followed was Takakesho, but Takakesho got injured after he became Ozeki. Um, and because he did not participate in last month's basho, he, um, or in, uh, excuse me, in uh, July, was it July? July Basho? Yeah, July's Basho. He now um, was stripped of the Ozeki and is now Sekewake, which is like the rank beneath Ozeki. And like you go from Sekewake to Ozeki. And then if you are chosen by the council, you'll be made Yokozuna. And the everyone knows the term Yokozuna because of the wrestler Yokozuna from the WWF or WWE, however you want to remember it as. I remember he was in the WWF and then he died when he saw a spider, which is terrible to even think about. But um, that guy wasn't even like from Japan. He was Hawaiian, but um, I think or Samoa or something like that. But anyway, neither here nor there. Yokozuna is the top rank you can get 
in sumo wrestling. There are two Yokozuna sometimes. Most of the times it's two because there's two divisions of sumo. They call the Eastern uh, and Western divisions. And um, so there's two Yokozunas. Both are from Mongolia. And there was a bit of an upset uh, of um, uh, last year when, uh, I mean, uh, last month or July. God, I keep saying last month where uh, Hakuho lost um, in in extravagant fashion. But nonetheless, Sumo is back. I'm really excited about that. It's going to be starting September 8th. Um, so I'm going to be getting up bright and early to, to catch some of the action, especially, I mean, you know, towards, I'm going to get up early, try to catch, uh, uh, Tochi Notion and, uh, uh, because those are my, my guys. And of course there's some people that you watch that you learn their names and you, and you follow them throughout the tournament. I think they, they wrestle every day. So every single day, uh, until the end, I think it's from the 8th to the 22nd. And I think there's 15 matches if I'm not mistaken. Let me just take a sip here. It's so hard when you do a show by yourself because there's just such a long pause when you have to drink. I might have to cut that out. Anyway, so what else happened when I was gone? Guys, this was the cool thing. Okay. I went to the Bronx Zoo, right? Oh, my God. So what do you do? I mean, okay, here's the thing, right? I had, let me see. I, I think I had, I think my expectations were correct. I was like, okay, I'm going to a zoo. I've been to the Staten Island Zoo. I didn't expect it to be that much different, and it wasn't. It re- kind of was exactly the same. The animals that you there, there were there. The Staten Island Zoo doesn't have <clears throat> as many exotic animals as the Bronx Zoo has, but they do the same thing. So I was because when you go to the Staten Island Zoo, they just lay there, right? You expect there to be maybe some more action, but it's the same out there in the in the Bronx Zoo. But there were two things that that shocked the shit out of me. Number one. It's the first time I've ever seen a rhinoceros up close. Okay, I've only, I've only seen pictures. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dom, how, how have you not seen a rhinoceros? You're over 30 years old. Yeah, I, I get it. Okay, you don't have to shout. But this is the first time I've ever seen a rhinoceros. And it was so funny because we, we went with um, with some friends and, uh, and my daughter was there and everything. And it was just really, really nice. My wife, my daughter. It was fantastic. Good family fun. We turned the corner going up towards... I guess this enclosure where the rhinoceroses were, you know, and um, I just didn't expect it. All of a sudden, this this fucking colossal thing was in front of me, and I literally let out like an audible, like Jesus Christ, because I could not believe the the size of this thing. You know, it was a fucking animated uh, um, dump truck for Christ's sakes. It was it was ridiculous. And I was just like, I was just, my mind was blown when I saw the size of this fucking thing. I couldn't believe it. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I, I geeked out pretty hard. I had like a dad geeking moment where I was like, oh, it's so large, it's so majestic, you know, but it's basically like looking at a fucking dinosaur. And then the second time I got wowed was when we went to the lion's den area and one of the lions was like growling and it was like. You just there's a switch that goes off in your brain that's like that that's not good. You gotta get out of here. Like it's a fight or flight thing goes on, totally like just not knowing or anything like that. It's just like oh my god, it was so scary and it's so fucking loud. The guy the thing was like ruff, ruff. and I was like oh god, I don't know if it was burping or, or or trying to be aggressive. But the other other part of the pride there, they were just laying down sleeping. The tigers were sleeping, big cats and all that, but they were just sleeping. Everybody's just sleeping. And, you know, so this so it's the part of the Wildlife Conservation Society. And I'm going to put out a big disclaimer there right now. OK, because what I'm about to say 
is going to be a bit controversial. Okay, I believe wholeheartedly that wildlife should be conserved, okay, without question. Just unequivocally, wildlife should be preserved, no matter what, no matter what it is, okay? Natural habitat is important. Us sharing the earth with these creatures is important. But don't try to fucking shame me about it, okay? Now, when we were in this place, it's a, it's a public uh, park, whatever, you got to pay to get in. But anyway, so so they keep saying, like, it's the Wildlife Conservation Society did this, the wild, conservation, conservation, conservation. And the biggest threat to these animals is humans. That's right. You and you and you and you and you over there, Tubby. And I was like, excuse me? So... So they're 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 guilting you throughout, right? And then I get to this fucking this thing, this this enclosure, where there was like a jaguar on one side, which was fucking great because the thing was pacing back and forth, waiting to eat anything that came in its path. You could see the bloodlust in the eyes of this beast. It was ready to attack. Okay, and there was nothing to attack. It's just a glass, and then there's innocent human beings on the other side that it was ready to do that. If that glass went down, there would be no survivors. It was literally just looking at you like that. It was ready to fucking go. But on the other side of this, it was like a bridge. On the other side of that was another glass thing. And down down there, right over there, I could see him right now, If I, like I'm picturing it, was this fat, fucking thing like that's the only thing i could describe it as it was as long as a great dane would be but as fat as i would be okay so picture maybe like a six foot three me right F laying down on its on my side okay fat just everywhere just spilling out all over the place and it had a nose like if you would like if you would it looked like a uh I don't want to use I don't want to use that word. It looked like an aardvark that ran into a wall and just smushed its nose. It was like a an elephant walrus face on on me. If I had to put it like this, it was just laying there contributing nothing to the ecosystem. And at one point, it picked its stupid face up and started just going, just like licking its its stupid lips. And I looked down at it and I said, okay, look, I cherish nature. I think it's very important that we cherish nature. But if, if, if I have to cut down some trees and clear some brush so that human babies can drink water and that thing... It's got to move out or die. It's got to go. And I mean that with all due respect to people who want to conserve. But I'm so sorry. I choose human life over that blurb thing. It was terrible to look at. I mean, and, and you know, it's, it's at one point I'm looking at it, I'm like, and I kind of fell in love with it. I was like, look at that fat fucking bastard just sitting there doing nothing. Just like you. He looked like he would stink like shit. Like if he got close to him. I don't even know what his diet would be. It looked like his diet was straight up Twinkies and, and fucking ring dings. That's what the thing looked like. I, I couldn't find a sign that said what it was. But it was, it was just, it was atrocious. It was, it was, it was a monstrosity for, for real. But then we went on the monorail and the monorail was cool because it went around and we got to see some, some, uh, 
you know, like deer looking things and, and, you know, and then, and then when you see those, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it, you shouldn't chop down forests and stuff to build condominiums. But if you're chopping down a couple of trees and some brush so that we can breathe, um, we could we could drink water, you know, to save human life. Uh, you know, let that let that thing go. What does it do? It was doing nothing. I mean, look. Uh, you know, you could do the whole, well, you know, Dom, when your aliens come and see you sitting on your couch looking your lips the same way watching the New York Giants on Sunday, you're not going to want them to be killed when you, you don't want them to kill you when you do. I get it. I get it. But we're not going to talk about clockwork elves on this episode, okay? We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. All I'm trying to say is that I really enjoyed the zoo and some animals deserve life than others. That's terrible to say. That's terrible. Everything deserves to, to live and be conserved, okay? That's the official statement of this podcast moving forward. I just thought it was kind of funny to see this thing just, just like someone was like, you can't build uh, anything here. I know it's overcrowded in that city, but this um, the, the blob monster is natural to this habitat. And then when you look over and the things are going, <laughs> like, I think I would be a little mad. I mean, granted, I'm not trying to build a Walmart, but anyway, I digress. All animals should be conserved, even the the snout monster that looked like it was contributing nothing to to uh, the ecosystem and everything like that. For everybody that's still listening, you, you must be thinking to yourself, Dom, September isn't about going to the zoo and just sumo. September is a big month for something else. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. We have started the one thing that brings everyone in the craft beer community and beer community together, and that is Oktoberfest, ladies and gentlemen. Boom! The one thing that I really, really enjoy about Oktoberfest, it's kind of like the celebration of beer that everyone can get into. You know, no matter what you what what you like to drink or, or whatever, you know, uh, part of this community you're about. Whether you're an IPA guy, you're a Belgian guy, whether you're into the weird stuff, whether you drink macro beers, you could crack open a Oktoberfest beer and hand it to anybody and they will appreciate and enjoy what they're having. So, I cordially invite everyone that listens to 3 Beers In to join me in this celebration of beer that is Oktoberfest. It's our time, ladies and gentlemen. It's our month. It's the month of beer. Enjoy it. Go out there. Oktoberfests are all over the shelves right now. Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada is doing their collaboration with Bitburger this year. Haven't got it yet. I got uh, two 24 packs of Sam Adams Oktoberfest, however, which is always, always a wonderful, delicious take on the Oktoberfest. Go out there and get any German-style Oktoberfest. If you could find it and get your hands on it, you're going to enjoy it, guaranteed. But I know that the listeners out there remember what I had said earlier on, that for this Oktoberfest, for this September, on three beers in, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sour September! That is correct. I am only going to be drinking sour beers on the show for the foreseeable future. You would think to yourself, Tom, wouldn't you do Oktoberfest for Oktoberfest? Yeah, yeah, I would probably want to do that. But 
Sour September was just way too alluring of a verbiage. And uh, for that reason, here we are. We're going to be doing the Sour September. So I was a bit ambitious when I told a couple people, and I think I even said it on this show, but I told some close friends of the show, what I wanted to do was order a whole mess of sours and have a sour beer a day uh, for the full month of um, September and then in October uh, claim the victor. Um, it didn't uh, pan out that way. I got a little busy. Maybe I could try it for next year because this uh, show will be on for the foreseeable future. But uh, nonetheless, what I decided to do was go out there and get some um, sour beers. And what I have are uh, I'm going to do two sour beers a show uh, for the month of September. And uh, I will select a winner each show, which which one of the two was the best one. And at the end of it, I will do an aggregate of what I think was the best one out of all of them that I had for the month. And then that will be crowned the victor and it will go on our seasonal Mount Rushmore, joining the rest of the elite beers that have been featured here on Three Beers In thus far for season two. So I'm extremely excited to do that. But um, now what we're going to do is we are going to spin the wheel for the hop of the week. So let us begin spinning. Hold on one second. And we are spinning the wheel. The wheel is spinning. The wheel is spinning. And we get... Spalt. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Spalt. Interesting. Spalt or Spalt? Let me look this up real quick. And... There we have it. From Hopless, we have Spalt. Surely one of the world... The world's oldest hop varieties, spalt hop, uh, hops date back as far as the 8th century. And in the 16th century, were the first variety to be granted the German hop seal. Wow, really cool. Um, which is a, historic, a, a historically... Uh, whoever wrote this, I don't think was English was their original language. A historically significant certification system predating the current German hop province law. Wow. So this predates the Reinhardt law that I think was enacted in 12-something or 1512 or something like that. Uh, grown primarily in the Spalt region of Germany, it is one of the original land race of hop. Not to be confused with its offspring, which is Spalter Select, Spalt features notes of earth and spice alongside noble aroma qualities and has uh, likened to Tanega and Sage hops uh it's not grown commercially in the united states due to its low yield uh something that is uh problematic even in the native germany uh despite this the variety is in high demand by brewers and uh often outstrips the supply uh here are some of the can i get rid of this here's some of the um characteristics of the of the hop itself so um, it's also known as Spalter, uh, Spalt, Spalter, Spalter, Spalt, or German Spalt. Uh, its characteristics are earth and spice. Its purpose is mainly for aroma. Its alpha acid composition is 2.5 to 5.7%, so it's not going to be very, very bitter. And its uh, beta acid composition is 3 to 5%. Uh, it's a small to medium-sized uh, cone, and it is very poorly um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, very poorly grown. Uh, the substitutes here are Asajj, uh, Tanega, uh, Santium, Liberty, and Hollertau. All, most of those are the, the heavy hitters when it comes to German 
um, hops. And the styles that you'll find them in are German Ale, Lager, Pilsners, Box, and Kolsch's. So this is the, the one German hop that you're probably going to find featured in most of the delicious German beers that you have uh, available to you. So without further ado, let us get to the beer news. That's right. It's the beer news, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, first thing we're going to have coming out of Bloomberg.com is that the South Koreans appear to have lost their taste for Japanese beer. This one is written by Shin Hye Kang. Uh, and this has a lot to do. I mean, I, I don't know how deep I'm going to get into this because it's not necessarily a craft beer situation, but it, I do like to get to general beer news and stuff like that. But South Korean imports of beer from Japan plunged 97% in August from a year earlier, a local newspaper had reported amid a popular backlash against Japanese products that has spread as relations between the two countries sour. Didn't see this one coming. Uh, South Korean imported uh, just under um, $223,000 worth of Japanese beer in the month, down from $7.57 million a year earlier. Um, this is according to the Mael, the Mael um, business newspaper, citing preliminary data from the Korean uh, Customs Service. Uh, Japan has held uh, the largest share of South Korean beer ports every year since 2010, with sales surging more than sixfold by 2018 to $78.3 uh, million. Uh, Japan's largest publicly traded brewers, such as Ashai, Asahai, excuse me, Group, uh, Kirin Holding, and Sapporo Holding, all export beer to South Korea and had in previous years cited growth in the markets, and it was promising. The boycott of Japanese goods has spread since Tokyo first imposed export restrictions on key chip materials in July and worsened as the spat grew to include South Koreans' preferential trade status and intelligence sharing agreement. Um, Consumer-facing brands... Uh, have been hit particularly hard with consumers boycotting clothing from fast retailing co's Uniqlo and sales of Japanese cars also foreign, uh, falling towards in Japan, a key economic driver from the prime minister's government. So there's a bit of a trade war going on between South Korea and Japan. Um, but um, the winner of this is South Korean brewer uh, Haiti Jinro Company, and they have... Uh, they have doubled their beer sales, and also they are the number one uh, creator of soju in South Korea, which is basically a very mellow vodka, if you've ever had um, soju before. I had it once before. It's it's to me I didn't I didn't really enjoy it. It's it's like a rice vodka uh, situation, but you know, just to let you know, there's a trade war going on between South Korea and Japan. Um so I think I uh, I think I uh, I'm not gonna read this because I read something like this the last time so I'm gonna skip that article, but oh here we have uh, an interesting little thing here and I think I touched on this before but this is from CNBC Boston Beer uh, Company CEO uh, says we're looking uh, at cannabis after success of hard seltzer business, okay some of the key points of this article written by Jasmine Kim out of CNBC says uh, we're not gonna be the first one in. But we're not going to study and learn once the hard seltzer category develops. We'll play it sometime down the line, said uh, CEO David Berwick. 
Uh, Boston beers, uh, truly. Oh, they make truly, huh? Wow. Truly hard seltzer makes up 20% of the market share. And it said, he said that we tripled the brand last year. This year, we're going to come just short of tripling it again. Wow. That's pretty fucking substantial. But the CEO of the Boston Beer Company uh, told CNBC on Friday that the uh, brewer is looking into entering the cannabis market next after the success of the hard seltzer business. If uh, Listen, so it, it, if this doesn't scream to you that the federal government, and I don't like getting into politics on the show, but I think this is just more of a, of a general thing that you could say. When you see big businesses, and I will include Boston Beer Company under... Under the moniker of Big Business, even though uh, Sam Adams carries that craft beer logo, it is on there. I saw it again. Okay? So it's official, even though they're not counted um, in, in terms of the numbers. Um, if you see businesses, like, I mean, big businesses shifting into this cannabis thing, putting millions of dollars into it, there is no doubt in my mind that the federal government will be legalizing marijuana soon. Actually, very soon. So David Berwick says, uh, we're not going to be the first ones in, but we're not going to be going to study and learn. I just read that. Uh, as, cannab as the cannabis market is emerging, several beverage brands have started to dabble in that space. In 2017, the Corona beer maker Constellation Brands bought a 10% stake in Canopy Growth Cap uh, uh, Corporation. Lagunitas, uh, Lagunitas, owned by Heineken, launched a cannabis-infused sparkling water to be sold in select California locations. Uh, Berwick said, until Boston beer moves into the cannabis market, it will be happy to grow double digits with that with the portfolio that it has. Hard seltzer category has expanded in the last few years. According to market research uh, from Nielsen, sales of alcoholic uh, beverages grew roughly 200% over the past year. Uh, Boston beer's truly hard seltzer makes up about 29% of that market share. The company's flagship brand, Sam Adams, experienced two years of dramatic declines in 2015. But after the launch of its hard seltzer brand, its stock turned around. And I think it's because of the stigma that surrounds the Boston Beer Company and that's, that surrounds Sam Adams. Yes, this was the beer that got us all into craft beer, but it has this, this black spot on it. It has like this, this um, like plague boil on it that makes you just want to stay away from it. The sparkling beverage that helped offset the losses of Sam Adams in 2018 uh, is truly. Then uh, by the end of June that year, uh, Boston beer stock gained $100 per share, reaching $300 a share. As of August uh, 30th, 2019, the stock is about $440 a share, growing nearly 80% year to date. Um, that is absolutely crazy. Uh, Berwick also said to uh, CNBC that hard seltzers have disrupted the broader beer business the way craft beer did in the 1980s. It's that much of a change. It's sort of like a gold rush right now. Everyone is trying to get as much shares as they can. So I guess what they're trying to say in this article is basically the they expect the cannabis-infused beverage market is going to be as intense as the craft beer market was in the 80s and as the hard seltzer market is right now. What does this mean for craft beer? I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a little... I think there's going to be a little bit of a retraction. I do understand that... I mean, I, I, I don't have the facts in front of me right now, and I, I really apologize because I do pride myself on being up-to-date on beer news and situations like that. But I do feel like the industry is going to take a small step backward, but then probably surge ahead um, uh, later on. But um, it just seems there's just too many options for consumers right now. 
But I do think if there's just those those people out there that are into craft beer, so it's just, I don't think people that are into craft beer are going to leave it. It's just trying to get more people, new people in, which is something that Three Beers In is all about, to try to get people to uh, to experience craft beer for the first time and to and to not be afraid to dive right in. So here's an article uh, written by uh, Independent PGH out of Pittsburgh, I believe. This is written by uh, Peter Kurzweig. And it says here, blending in why the ad, uh, the Ab InBev acquisition of Platform Brewing should terrify Pittsburgh craft beer drinkers. Now I know there's a quite a number of people that listen from the from the great city of Pittsburgh, so this one is for you guys. Uh, recently, on a trip to the southern shore of the Georgian Bay in Canada, I found myself at a small town in Creemore. Uh, Ontario. Uh, Cremor is the platonic ideal of a small town in the sparse wilderness of North Ontario. While only a few square blocks, it's clean, well-kept, and chock-full of artisan coffee shops, galleries, and general stores uh, tucked into charming, restored historical storefronts. Uh, it's a rural town with the, indic- uh, the with, with urban sensibilities and has a brewery capturing uh, that same, oh, it's such a cute town vibe. Uh, Cremor Springs Brewery is a quaint but thoughtfully designed retail shop and tasting room with a sign that proudly boasts that this brewery is 100 years behind the times. The tasting room of Cremor Springs uh, uh, fronts a brewery that is visible but not accessible and is full of trappings of artisan brewers, an old uh, mechanical cash register, exposed brick, wooden old wooden barrels, Edison bulbs, and uh, it's a focal point is a decommissioned copper brewing kettle inscribed with one presumes the Cremor Springs Creed. And it says we direct fire brew. We, we direct fire brew our beers in small batches as it was done centuries ago. We use our own pure spring water and the finest malted barley, specialty hops, and select yeast. Our brewers take no shortcuts and make no compromises. Each batch is crafted by a team dedicated to producing the perfect beer. True artisan stuff, right? A claim to a first-wave craft beer origin story in the 1980s, a dedication to century-old methods, a promise that they source their very own spring water and use only the finest specialty ingredients one batch at a time. Overwhelmed by the small town charmed and the beautiful space, you'll vow to quit your big city job, move here, work in this small brewery, and fight the powers of the big corporate overlords by dropping out, tuning in, and living in the simple life of an artisan brewer in northern Ontario. You'll be brought back to reality when your paycheck comes from Molson Coors, which acquired Cremor Springs in 2005. Wow. To be clear. That took a turn. I did not expect it. I was kind of like captivated by this article. I was captivated by this man's story. Woo. To be clear, uh, Cremor Springs inscribed brew kettle isn't BS. Uh, it was inscribed in 1987 uh, as... A lager brewery using spring water from the artisan well on its nearby property. Over time, Creemore Springs began experimenting with darker malts and direct fire, and ultimately branched out beyond the original all lager model. It took pride in its unfiltered and unpasteurized product, and it grew into a small town. It grew in its small town for 18 years until Molson Coors, one of the two largest breweries on earth, purchased it. Despite initial fears within the company, Despite initial fears within the company, the brewing processes have remained largely unchanged since the acquisition. The spring water is still trucked to the brewery for each brew, 
now at a whopping 10,000 liters per trip, which is 60 barrels. Cremor Springs still doesn't pasteurize its beer, and the beer is still perfectly fine. So what's the problem, you might ask? They make the same product. Why is big beer ownership troubling if the small beer product remains unchanged? Cremor Springs and its employees don't see the problem. As the director of marketing, Karen Guadino, said in a 2006 interview, when we were acquired, people had a fear of what would change, how it would change us. Let's be honest here. We all did. It was a fear of the unknown and how the future would unfold. But true to their word, Molson Coors kept their hands off of us. We were brought to help. We were bought to help us grow, not to change us. We still get comments. And you know what? They are to be expected. And we can't change that. But what we can change, or at least try to, is people's perception of us. We tell, these, we tell these people that ownership does not define who we are. We are all still the same great people making great beer, and that's not changing. Nothing's changed. Well, except the threefold expansion of Creemore's production volume in a brand new brewing facility behind the original brewery, the canning operation and mass uh, distribution center in a town down the road, and perhaps most importantly, the overnight, access, the overnight access to every Ontario beer store's prime shelf space. Other than that, it's just the same old small town brewery that is 100 years behind the times. Today, Creemore Springs makes roughly 125,000 barrels of a beer a year. It cans, which it it's cans, which beats its craft competitor market in 2006. Shortly after uh, Miller Coors acquired it, are, are pervasive on Ontario shelves with prominent placement in the craft and local sections. Uh, so so they they're still they're still appearing as craft and local. No matter where that they're, uh, no matter where they're placed. In 2016, Creemore Springs opened a restaurant in an upscale Toronto neighborhood under a subbrand called Batch, which sell which sells an ale-focused selection of Batch branded beers as well as Creemore Spring branded lagers that go along, alongside its $20 burger and $17 grilled cheese sandwiches. Nowhere on Creemore Springs's or Batch's website do they disclose their relationship with Molson Coors. On June 8, 2016, with the enthusiastic support of many craft breweries, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf signed Act 39, the largest overhaul of the Pennsylvania Liquor Code, uh, code since Prohibition. The act provided a number of benefits to Pennsylvania consumers and restaurant licensees, allowing licensed restaurants and grocery stores willing to pay for additional licensing fees to sell bottles of wine to go. But the most notable changes from Act 39 applied to Pennsylvania's alcohol manufacturers, its breweries, distilleries, and wineries. Act 39, Act, excuse me, Act 39 gave Pennsylvania alcohol manufacturers the ability to sell other alcoholic products that they did not make, so long as they, so long as those products were made elsewhere in Pennsylvania. For instance, a Pennsylvania distillery can now sell Pennsylvania-made wine and beer. A Pennsylvania brewery can now sell Pennsylvania-made spirits. That was a big change. Previously, a brewery would have to act, uh, would have to purchase a restaurant license, which in uh, Allegheny uh, County costs roughly eighty-five thousand dollars. In Butler County, roughly three hundred thousand dollars to offer those products. Now it could sell those products without additional licensing, provided that um, they are made in Pennsylvania. And made in Pennsylvania has since be, uh, come to encompass spirits uh, made for those intent and purposes uh, outside of Pennsylvania, but passed through Pennsylvania producers to create 
uh, the required Pennsylvania nexus. This is very long-winded, and there's so many more. Oh, my God. Guys, I can't finish this. I can't finish this. So I'm sorry, but I will just get to the last couple of paragraphs. Uh, why? Um, uh, oh, man, there's just so much. You know, I'm going to actually share this article to the Facebook because I cannot finish it because there's just way too much. Um, but, you know, this, this the sheep and wolves clothing thing is, is a real thing when because um, I think I talked about it two weeks ago was when I said, what's the big deal about? You know, if it stays craft, it's that you're you're not if if it appears to be craft and you're putting money into the pockets of these conglomerates, you're doing a disservice to craft beer. But the next article, I'm really sorry about that, guys. I did not know that it was going to be that long. Maybe I should read these articles before I actually put them on the show. Um, really sorry about that if you if you stuck around for that whole thing. But I will share the article and you could read the rest of it. But um, the, the 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 main the main thing is that it's just. Um, it's fucked up what they're doing. So here, uh, this is from South Jersey Beer Scene. I love this this website, sjbeerscene.com. Um, and this was uh, in their culture uh, part of their website, uh, written by uh, John Couchloud, uh, Couchloud, excuse me. Uh, four beer-related activities you could do in the fall. And here's how the article reads. This is a lot, this is a lot less uh, heavy than the last one that I was looking at. Uh, summer is over. Football is here. Halloween, uh, Halloween candy and costumes are out in the store shelves. And stores are already stocked with fall beers. This doesn't have to be the time of mourning for all that summer was. The barbecues, the beach trip, the pool parties, and other warm weather activities may be coming to an end. But there are still plenty of good times to be had. Here are four beer-related activities that you could do this fall. When I say that you could do it, I really mean that you can do these activities. First one up, attend a beer festival. Fall is the perfect time to attend a beer fest. The cooler air makes it more comfortable to drink outside, and breweries tend to bring more seasonal offerings to give you a taste of something different than the summer festivals that have to offer. We are looking forward to a few festivals, including the Glassboro Beer Festival on September 28th and Witchcraft, a mystical encounter of with brews and spirits, and they spelt brews B-R-O-O-S, at Lake Lenape uh, Park in Mays Landing on uh, October 19th. Witchcraft is brought to you by the same organizers as the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. Oktoberfest season is also nearly upon us. And uh, you should start seeing a bunch of pop-ups all over South Jersey and the surrounding areas. So stay tuned for details. So in the United States, uh, they we celebrate Oktoberfest in October, even though in Germany it's throughout September and ends right before October. Nonetheless, here's number two. Uh, drink your summer stash of IPAs while they're still fresh. This is actually really important. If you have some fresh IPAs that you know have just come off, Drink them now, because that's when you're going to really, really enjoy it. IPAs ruled the summer releases, and if you're anything like us here at SJBS, and I agree with these boys, uh, you want to try them all. This usually leads to a refrigerator full of random beers that are sitting and screaming at you, Drink me! Uh, there's great advice that uh, most brewers will tell you, and that's the IPAs are best fresh and should be consumed as soon as possible. In as little as three weeks, the hops can fall off of a beer and will tend to turn more malty and caramel flavored. Definitely not a profile of an IPA or what the brewer had intended. You might want to consider drain pouring anything older than 90 days. Wow, that's pretty hard to do. I'm going to drink that shit anyway. 
Number three, do a beer tour. Wow, this is something I really want to do this stuff. It's going to be so much fun. Do a beer tour. Fall and winter is the perfect time to do a multi-brewery tour here in South Jersey as the craziness of summer is over. Kids are back in school, summer homes are closed up, and the local breweries are not as busy as they were during the height of the season. Smaller crowds usually afford the brewery staff the time to actually talk to you about their beer. You also get to drink your samples in a more relaxed environment. Overall, a better experience for both the brewery and the patrons. If you're looking for a brew tour, check out our tour schedule here so they do have a tour schedule linked in this article which i'm probably also going to share to the facebook because i want everyone to be in on this because this is really good stuff i really really like the sounds of this i think that i am going to go to a festival and a beer tour this fall slash winter and the last one oops excuse me the last one something i still haven't done but i intend to do learn how to home brew i know it sounds oh i got the hiccups here I know it sounds intimidating, but you can do it. So you've caught the craft beer bug and you want to learn how to brew beer at home, but you have no idea where to start. You could start by reading the Bible of home brewing, which I read, which really got me enthralled and and gave me the vim and vigor to try to do some home brewing. And I'm going to do it. I promise you I will. You can read that, or according to our friend Tara Nuren of Forbes magazine, more than 40 homebrew shops have closed in 2019 across the United States, and it's a trend that's not showing any signs of stopping. Home brewers made the craft beer industry what it is today. It would not be crazy to say that almost every professional brewer, including 99% of all South Jersey brewers, got his or her start by brewing beer at home. Look up your local homebrew club and stop in and see what your friends are doing. And our friends here at Fermented and Hamonton and Eastern Homebrew in Northfield to see what they're brewing. So I know that the, there's the Richmond County uh, Beer Club, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of homebrewers in there. I was gonna. Tr- I'm trying to organize an interview with people from from that organization just to get an idea of what they're about and um, and. You know, I I have a home beer brewing kit. I have everything that I need. I just need the time to do it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's come for the time of the show to review these beers. Now, I grabbed a handful of sour beers from Beverage Island. I don't know anything about these beers that are waiting for me in this cooler. I'm literally just going to put my hand in the cooler and pull out the first one that I find. And I hope that it's something good. Here it is. It's called... Oh. Oh. From Night Shift Brewing, it's called Everweiss. Mixed fermentation sour ale aged with kiwi, strawberries, and hibiscus. So, I don't know anything about this beer. I'm not even going to look it up. But it says here, our process uses both lactobacillus and brewer's yeast during fermentation to achieve a high-level of complexity it's a Berliner vice so I'm not excited I'm not when was it brewed does it even say I'm not even gonna I can't see it um every time I've ever had a Berliner vice in my life I, it's tasted like throw up to me and I've immediately thrown it out so let me see if, okay this okay hang on it smells very lime. Whip. Okay. All right. Let me. Uh, I'm going to sip here. It pours it. I'm not going to pour it out. 
So it's a it's a pale straw yellow. It's sour, but it's also very dry. Mm. I'm getting the kiwi. Not so much the strawberry. I'm getting the sour. I'll tell you that much right now. But this is the first Berliner uh, Weiss or Weiss that I've not thrown not thrown out immediately. Mm. It's a tall boy can. It's okay. Now it's starting to warm up a little bit because I was drinking a, a, a fucking ale before, and um, um, I'd say the alcohol by volumes on the bottom five point two percent. This one's kind of going down like a cider. It's not that sour. It's kind of like now that I've had a couple sips, the sour taste has gone away. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the other one out and crack it open, put it in the can. And what do we have here? I mean, in the in the glass. This is from Duclaw Brewing Company from Baltimore, Maryland. Purple Passion. Uh, Goes Ale or Goza Ale. Brewed with passion fruit, blackberry, and sea salt. Okay. Sounds a bit odd. Let's see what we got. So far, this uh, this Berliner wise, I'm, I'm okay. This is this is purple. This is actually purple. This is going to be a wild couple of episodes of three percent. Let me tell you, this is a purplish, brownish hue. It kind of looks like if you put a bunch of water in grape juice. Oh, that smells terrible. Okay, hold on. Okay, this was this was brewed like two days ago, and it says it's got the Ravens colors on it. On the bottom, it said Ravens Nation, so it's it's ready it's ready for for football. But that smells like fucking garbage. Um, sour season is listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. I'm not anti sour. I'm really not. I I'm the only person on Three Beers In that when we did the Bel Air Sour from Brooklyn, I loved it. Everyone else wanted to. Eric almost fucking had a conniption and, and Rob threw up 20 minutes later. Uh, it says, okay, this stinks. Oh my. Oh my God. It smells like burnt. It just smells like burnt. Oh fuck. Um, Purple passion from Duclaw. They did that citrus snuggie, which I loved. Uh, brewed with passion fruit, blackberry and sea salt. This purple hued. Oh no shit. Goes may cause your taste buds to partake in excessive celebration. Take a sip and discover where pride meets passion with this refreshing brew of light, sweet, savory flavors. It doesn't say on the can that it smells like hot garbage. Oh my God, this smells like shit. Let me try to really describe it. Hold on. Okay. Oh my God. It smells like something went wrong with your car, right? But you don't know anything about cars, so you don't know what the fuck that smell is. On a hot summer day. All right, I'm going to give it a sip. Oh, fuck me. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's too sour. It's got like a... Okay, I'm going to try to figure out the taste. Oh, my God, my eyes hurt. Let me try again. Oh, I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, that is so sour. That is so sour. Oh, how could you have like the raven shit all over it? Someone might buy this. Someone might buy this for football. Give me the other one. Hold on. 
Oh, that one's like drinking fucking high C compared to it. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> okay. All right, this is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. So, so, Duclaw is, is terrible. Let me try it one more time. Hold on. Oh, no. Oh. Okay, the blackberry's there. <laughs> Fuck the passion fruit. So sour. Too sour. It's like it's like I'm, I'm fucking eating a warhead. Okay. It's like someone took it's like someone took a bunch of sour patch kids and punched me in the mouth with them. Okay? And then tried to make me just drink warm Welch's grape juice down. There's nothing appealing about this one. Other than when you're done with it. Fuck you. Damn it, Duclaw. I, I was really... I was I was having high hopes here. Hands down, the Night Shift Brewing uh, Everwise wins this round because for the fucking love of God is that harsh. I mean, if you're into super, super sour beer, you know, if that's like what kind of tickles your funs, huh? Then... Excuse me. Oh, God. Oh, that burp. That burp was vile. That burp was criminal. I don't want to burp again. Okay, I gotta stop the show. Okay, okay. Okay, look. I'm okay. I'm a man. Let me try this. Let me try this goes one more time. Let's be real. Nope. No, there's nothing you can do. Nope. Okay. Hands down. Uh, between the purple passion goes or goes the hell. Five, 5.5%. And the Everwise, or Vi, uh, the Everwise is a Berliner Wise, Vise, which I like. Mm. Oh, that's so good compared to it. It's just no, nowhere near as sour. So much more pleasant flavors that balance themselves out. You do get the, I, I kind of get the strawberries there now, but the kiwi's very forward. Um, it's aged in the kiwi, strawberries, and hibiscus, so it's not going to be so upfront. But so far, this this fucking thing, this Evervice from Night Shift, hands down better than um, Purple Passion. So in terms of sours, this Evervice gets like a six. This Purple Passion gets a two. Not a two, it's a one because it's undrinkable. It's too fucking sour. It hurt. It gets a two, and that's it for the for the beer review. I want to thank everyone for listening. I appreciate it. Sour September is on, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm going to continue doing it no matter what because I'm dedicated to this show. I love this show. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the what's left of the warm air. Do some barbecuing if you're still into it, and uh, watch football this Sunday. Enjoy the Oktoberfest beers out there, and if you're participating in Sour September, email me what sours you're having. And if you're doing, you know, just tell me what you think of them and we'll take it from there. But thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to catch you next week. Love you all.